Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and one of his wives showed he himself, or on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore. And now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. I want you to note verse 5. It simply says, Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? Children, have ye any meat? I'd like to paraphrase that statement and just say really what the Lord was asking there is where are the fish? Where are the fish? And I'd like to use that as a subject for your consideration tonight as we speak from this incident in the scripture. Where are the the fish. Let's pray that the Lord would bless the remainder of this service. Jesus, we are asking you, God, to move, to minister, to work, to anoint, to bless your word to our hearts. We need you. We want to be challenged by you. And I am so thankful, God, for the opportunity to be in your house, be a part of your kingdom, to be able to work for your kingdom's sake. And we're thankful to you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It is important, I think, that you understand the context of the statement or the question that Jesus posed here. I think it's important that you know that This is after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. And there are several post-resurrection instances where he showed himself to one or a few at times and maybe all of his disciples. But this particular visitation, he did not make himself known immediately. And he came upon the scene or the place that was most familiar to these fellows before he called them to follow him. At least these that are a part of this particular portion of Scripture. 
this is really where it all began for these guys. They were fishermen. They were men that worked and made their livelihood from working on the sea. And now they have returned at least for a little while back to that. And the Lord meets them there. And I think that's a very important thing because we see a similar setting in Luke chapter number 5. And they had been toiling throughout the night and they were coming in from fishing. And the scripture says that Jesus was teaching the multitude on the seashore and the crowd was pressing against him so that it was backing him against the water and he asked for one of them to allow him to get in their boat and launch out a little bit and he would teach from the boat the multitude that was gathered on the shoreline. And then after he dismissed the multitude, the scripture says that he commanded these disciples to launch out into the deep and there to let down their nets. And it was then that Peter began to protest and said, We've toiled all night and we have caught nothing. And you're asking us after we have pretty much finished up our fishing trip and even began to clean and to stow the nets, you've asked us to take them back out again and to cast them out and to the water, and we've already tried this, not just for a little while, but we did it all night long, and we caught nothing at all. But nevertheless, at thy word, and that was the key, and being obedient to the word of the Lord, he said, nevertheless, at thy word, and he cast out the net, and of course, there was the miracle of the great drought of fish. So you can see the similarities from Luke chapter 5 at the beginning where the Lord finds these disciples and this particular scripture in John chapter 21. And they had been out fishing throughout the night again and come up empty-handed. And now when the morning light is is coming up on the eastern horizon. Jesus is standing there. Maybe they could not see anything but a shadowy figure in the distance and did not recognize it to be the Lord. And he asked them this question, Children, have you any meat? Now to us, to use the terminology children, uh, that's a very endearing statement. But you understand that in Bible times that was not uh, an unusual greeting. Matter of fact, that was sort of like saying lad, or it was like saying sirs. It was just a normal greeting that they would use during those times. And so when the Lord said, children, have you any meat? He did not give away his identity at that particular moment. And they answered in the negative. They said, no, uh, we, we've been fishing and we've caught Nothing at all. And so the Lord takes them back to where it all begins here. And he's teaching them, it seems like to me, a lesson. Because in Luke chapter 5, at the conclusion, when they brought in that great drought of fish, so much so that they had to get other ships to help them to get it in, the scripture says that the Lord made a statement to them. He said, henceforth, or from this time on, he said, Thou shalt catch men. We know of other statements that he made like this. He said, I will make you fishers 
of men. And now he's reminding them through this that he's going to illustrate to them in this text that fishing may always be something that they do on the sideline as far as as uh, the things of this world is concerned. They may, they may do it as a hobby. They may do it as something, as a pastime. But their life, at least from the time that the Lord has called them until the time that they would pass from this life or in their minds till the coming of the Lord, they would be fishers of men. And that was what the Lord wanted to reiterate to them because he's getting ready to disperse these disciples out of the world. He is going to depart from them and they are going to be left in this world but empowered to build the church or the kingdom of God until the Lord's return. And in like manner, all of us are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's our responsibility. You may have thought that the Lord just saved you just to, just to enjoy the blessings of God and just to partake of the goodness of the Lord and never reproduce yourself or never reach out and be cognizant of other people of this world that need this gospel. But uh, that type of thinking is an error. I believe with all of my heart it's the Lord's desire from this very first example when he called followers until this present time, he wants us to be fishers of men. And uh, so when he asked this question, it caused me to think about this, and knowing, knowing people that fish and being somewhat of a fisherman myself, you know, fishermen always have an excuse for why they don't catch fish, right? Most of you have probably talked to fishermen, and you have noted this also, that Many times they'll, they'll have an excuse, and it can vary from all kinds of things. Uh, my old boat wasn't cooperating. I, couldn't, I had to work on the motor more than I was able to fish. I didn't have the right tackle. Uh, the wind was blowing out of the east. Uh, there was, you know, uh, something else. There was a bad current, or the water was uh, messed up. There was not good clarity in the water. Whatever the situation is, uh, seems like uh, fishermen can always find an excuse. And so I begin to analyze this situation. What was the reason why they had been unfruitful in their fishing endeavors? Why was it that they had been unproductive? Why were they unable to catch fish? These were obviously people that were experienced. These were people that had been around fishing long enough to know how to do it. Maybe even generationally had been passed down to them. And so they were very aware of what it took to catch fish. And they had, they had seen it done in all types of different scenarios and at different times and different seasons of the year. And so none of this was strange to them, but yet they caught nothing. So what was it? And uh, maybe we could ask the question, was it the boat? Was that the reason why they were unable to catch fish? You know, boats, uh, they can make it a lot easier sometimes. I have, uh, 
at times went with a guide fishing at different lakes. And, of course, they're more familiar. They're on the lake often. And if you're not someone that goes uh, pretty regularly, you don't know exactly what the fish are biting, where they're biting, and what depth they're biting. But somebody that is frequently going understands this. And so it's a lot easier sometimes if you want to be successful, if you're just one of those that goes a few times out of the year, to go with somebody that knows. And typically these guides are sponsored. All of their equipment is sponsored, uh, many of them, with the best of the best because they know they're taking clients out and maybe the fishing bug will bite one of these clients and they would have to have the exact equipment that the guide is using. Maybe it's a fishing pole. Maybe it's uh, the type of lures that he's using, the type of tackle. Uh, perhaps it's the boat itself or the electronics that he's using. Or he, he sees the, the motor that the boat has on it and he wants a boat that has that type of motor on it. And uh, there's a gentleman that I fished with several times over on Lake Fork, and he was sponsored by Ranger Boats, Ranger Bass Boats. Now, Ranger Bass Boats are some of the best and the most expensive. But uh, when you get out on the water, you can see why. I mean, it's like riding on a Cadillac out on the water, and it drives fast, and it had a big Mercury 250 or, or better motor on it, and power poles and all kinds of stuff. And I said, well, just about how much would a boat like this cost a fella? And he indicated to me that the boat could cost upwards to $70,000 then. That's several years ago. $70,000. I said, man, you got job security with me because I'm never going to buy a boat that costs $70,000, but I like this boat. And so the few times that I go out in the year, I'll just go with you. But I was amazed one time of how that when we hired him, actually it was the first time uh, me and a fellow from South Louisiana, Rodney Smith, was going fishing and, and uh, he just left the dock, didn't go very far at all, and he said, right here's where we're going to fish. And I thought to myself, I could have walked over here. I could have borrowed somebody's canoe and I could have got a John boat and made it to here. I thought we were going to go zooming at top speed across this lake to some hidden place that only you knew about. And with all those electronics, I mean, so much technology, it's unbelievable that's on those boats. I mean, as much as in as an electronic store is on those boats. They got screens up here at the console. They got screen, screens out there at, at the place where he is uh, controlling the trolling motor. And... Uh, I mean, just all kinds of equipment and, and things to find fish with. And he was looking at these birds that were diving down of the water and getting little bait fish. And he said, underneath them is the bass that we're looking for. And sure enough, we went over there about 300 yards from where we had launched from and began to fish and caught fish. You know, I would have never known, even though I was that close, I would have never known it had I not had the opportunity to have him to tell me. It cost a little money to get him to do that. But I immediately realized that the boat, uh, you know, as expensive and as powerful as it was, that uh, that in and of itself could not be an excuse. I've been, been with him at other times, and we didn't catch much of anything. And that's not been real frequent. 
But there has been times when we didn't catch much of anything as far as fish. And uh, we had this high-powered, expensive boat with all of this electronic equipment. And uh, he could read, and, and it, it would tell him exactly where to drive to go to the next spot. And it had a GPS on it marking the place. And he said, now, don't you be marking these places with your phones and coming back here. He said, this is how I make my living. And I thought to myself, how many times people probably did uh, drop a pin on those places and go back and fish at a later date. But uh, I, 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 it wasn't the boat's fault if we didn't catch fish. Because we had everything as far as money could buy. It wasn't the boat. And as I began to think about what the boat is for you and I in this story, I began to consider the church. And we're trying to get fish in this boat, in case you haven't noticed. And we're trying to get people, amen, into the safety of this ark, as it were. And can I just start by saying tonight, you can't blame the lack of souls or the lack of good fishing or the lack of people being born again on the church. I said you can't blame it on the church because when the Lord established this church, he purchased it with his own blood. And when he established this church, he paid the ultimate price and he gave his all. And so this is very expensive what we're talking about. I'm not talking about the building and the fixtures and all of those things that we sometimes equate to be the church. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ. That's what the Lord is coming back for, is those that are in and a part of the body of Christ. And you can't blame the lack of revival on the church, not God's church. You can't blame it on any of those types of things. There's nothing wrong, in other words, with the church. You, you can't affix or, or hang any blame on the church. The church still is the place where people can find God. The church is still the place where people can be comforted. There's people in the church that God has dealt with. That, that relates to just about every walk of life. It doesn't matter where you come from. There's somebody in the church that has experienced something like that, that has gone through similar things, that has the testimony. And if God did it for them, he can surely do it for others. He can do it for you. Amen. He can give you the same miracle, the same power of redemption that came to their life can come to yours. The same encouragement and strength and faith that that came to your life can come to yours. Amen. So you can't you can't say that it's the church. It's the greatest institution in all the world. The greatest institution in this world is not is not the the government or things that per, pertain to it. it. It's not it's not the military. It's not it's not educational institutions. It's not any of those things. The greatest institution in this earth is the church because it's the only institution that's been established by God. It's the only one that he purchased with his blood. It's the only one that he bought with a price. Amen. The Lord didn't die. I hate to, I hate to break this news to you. He didn't die. He didn't die for Congress 
as far as the institution is concerned. He died for the souls, of course, that are in Congress. He, he didn't die uh, necessarily for the Senate. He didn't die for uh, the executive branch, and he didn't die. He didn't die for the judicial branch, and he didn't die for any of the other institutions that make up this uh, country's government. Uh, not the institutions themselves. He died for the souls that are within those institutions, but not the institutions themselves. I'm going to tell you, if all of that collapses and fails and goes defunct, there's one thing that is going to stand. There's one thing that is going to live on. And there's one thing that the devil cannot come against without there being repercussions. And that is the church of the living God. The matter of fact, the Bible said when the enemy comes in like a flood on the church, that he's going to raise up a standard against it. There is a defense amen, for the church. There's strength, there's power found in the church. Hallelujah. You want to be blessed? Get connected with the church. Praise the Lord. And uh, we know that, that the church is something you've got to be born into. I don't mean born into generationally. You can't pass down a relationship with God. Amen. There's a lot of us that would love to pass them down to uh, those that, that are our children or our grandchildren. We'd love to pass them down. We can't do that. You've got to be born into the kingdom of God. Everybody that's in the church is first generation. You had to come just like everybody else come to get into this thing. You had to die out to your sin. You had to be buried with him in, in Jesus' name, baptism, according to the scripture in Acts 2.38. And then you had to be resurrected with him in the power of the Holy Ghost. That's how you get into the church. That's how you're born again. So it's not the boat. You can't blame it on the boat. And so many people, uh, they want to they wanna affix uh, where the blame should be. And try to hang it somewhere, but, but you can't blame it on the church. You can't blame it on the boat, the old ship of Zion. And then, I guess, uh, we, could, we could examine this a little further and say, was it the net? Was it the net? Was there something wrong? With the net, this is an important instrument that is used in that day for catching fish, this net. And, and, and you know, there's evidence that they took care of these nets. And they would mend these nets. There's evidence of that. They would clean these nets and make sure they were in working order before they would go out. Because what's the use of making the effort to go out? What's the use of going out and fighting the sea and the currents and all of the heat and everything else you had to endure if your net, you know, let's put it in modern vernacular, what would be, what would be the purpose of going to the fishing hole, wherever that is for you, and going without the proper equipment to catch a fish? Going with a fishing pole that has no line in it. And I uh, said, well, I got a nice pole. It costs a lot of money here, but I don't have any, you know, that very inexpensive twine that goes around the spool of that thing. And you cast out there with the bait on the end of it. If you don't have that, and that's probably the most inexpensive part of the whole setup. But if you don't have that, you're going to be ineffective, Right. Well, if you, you can be in the right place, you can be at the right time, and 
and you can have everything else. You can have a very nice boat and have all of that going on. But if you, if you don't have the net right, well, you're not going to be very successful. So let's examine the net as it pertains to you and I. Of course, this is the gospel message that we preach. And can I just tell you that there's nothing wrong with the apostles' doctrine, the net. There's nothing wrong with this Acts 2.38 message. It still has the power to save. It still has the power to reach people and change people. And when you're born again of this wonderful truth that I'm talking about, when you, when you are obedient and you repent of your sins. Now, we, we, we gloss over that sometimes. We don't talk about that in detail sometimes. But to repent of your sins is actually to die out. And, and there's a propensity within all of our flesh. We're, it's an innate desire within all of us since the garden till now. We all have a propensity for sin and an appetite for sin that has to be dealt with. We have to repent of it. I don't care how good a person that you perceive yourself to be. The Bible said in Psalms 51, we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. In sin, your mother conceived you. And so that Adamic nature was passed down to you according to the word of God. And so the only way that can be rectified is being obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way you can get in the church to be saved, and again, the church is what the Lord's coming back for. The only way you can get in the church, the only way you can get in this boat is to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I can tell you now there's nothing wrong with the power and the ability of this gospel to do its work in your life if you're obedient to it. When you repent, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, the Bible says. But it's, it's incumbent that you repent. That means to turn away. That means to die out. That's why people weep at an altar. Amen. We have examples in the word of the Lord where they, they sought uh, repentance with tears. Godly sorrow, the scripture says, worketh repentance in our lives. I get a little skeptical of folks that come running down to the altar and they don't have any, any repentance, but yet they want to receive this precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now let me just ask you something. Why would you take a cup that is filthy and pour something in it to drink? First, you would want to wash it out, right? I said first, you would want to make sure that it was clean so that you could consume the contents that you poured in it. Well, I want to tell you, the Lord's not going to pour His precious Spirit into an unclean vessel that has not repented. It's a prerequisite that you repent of your sins in order to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, we do have evidence in the book of Acts where people received the Holy Ghost before they were baptized in Jesus' name. But I might add, they, they were baptized soon after and they were given the Holy Ghost on credit that they would be baptized in Jesus' name. Matter of fact, uh, when, when this happened in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house, uh, 
Peter said, can any man forbid them water that these people be baptized because they spoke in tongues as well as we? That's how we know they got the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you that when you get the Holy Ghost, you get it by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gives you the utterance. Somebody said, well, uh, you know, I've asked people before. I went to a private school uh, part of my uh, high school years, and and uh, the private school uh, had a church, a large church that it, that it uh, was connected to it, and uh, we were uh, it was part of our responsibility to go to chapel, and uh, man, these folks they knew I was Pentecostal, so they they would always uh, you know kind of insinuate that they were spirit-filled. And so I said, how do you know that you got the Holy Ghost? And uh, they said, well, when I got it, I fell out. And somebody else over here said, well, when I got it, I did this. And I said, well, that's all great. You may do that. And here I am, you know, the authority on it at 13. And uh, I said, you may do all of those things, but the way I understand the Word of God there's only one thing that you have to do to know that you got the Holy Ghost, or that's the sign of the Holy Ghost. Now, the tongues in and of themselves, you know, we don't seek for tongues. We seek the Holy Ghost, in other words. And when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll get the tongues. You'll get the evidence. The Holy Ghost, the evidence of it is that you will speak, and that's the sign that you. he takes this most unruly member of your body, your tongue that James said is, is like, uh, like a flame of fire. And, and he takes that and he begins to speak through you a heavenly language that you didn't know, that you didn't learn. Amen. Somebody else says, well, if you receive the Holy Ghost, do you always have to speak in a language that somebody does know? Well, I know in Acts chapter 2 it happened that way and it was a witness uh, of what was going on at the birth of the church. But in every instance, it's not necessary that that happen. And it's not, it's not, uh, it's not imperative that that take place. But uh, it, it could occur. We know of instances in modern day examples where it has happened to be a witness to somebody else. That was used as a miracle to convince somebody else that this is true, that this is right, that God is in this. But what God is doing in you, uh, it, it doesn't matter whether somebody across the room understands what you're saying. All you're doing is speaking unto God. Amen. You've opened up your heart having repented of your sins and yielded to him through worshiping him. And he begins to speak through you in a heavenly language. Yeah, Isaiah talked about it. He said, with a stammer and living another tongue, I'll speak to my people. Amen. And uh, we, we understand that that very verse is quoted in the book of Acts relating to this experience that we're talking about. So Isaiah was seeing the day that people were going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That people, amen, that was what, that's what he was proclaiming when he made that statement with a stammering lip and another tongue. I will speak to my people. And so this happened. On the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, can I tell you that the Holy Ghost, once you repent, it's an easy thing to receive the Holy Ghost. It's a matter of yielding your heart to God. 
and, and, and when we've prayed and we've repented and we we're sorrowful for our sins and we've made our minds up that we're not going back and we've asked God to forgive us of our sin, we easily become recipients of the Holy Ghost. It's not a hard thing to get the Holy Ghost. It's not a difficult thing. Amen. After you've fully repented, all you have to do is have faith in God and begin to worship Him. And we encourage people to begin to worship the Lord. And as they begin to worship the Lord and yield themselves to Him, the Bible said He inhabits the praise of His people. Hallelujah. As you begin to praise the Lord, He makes an inhabitation in your life, in your heart. Amen. He fills you up with the power of the Holy Ghost. Any Holy Ghost folks in this place? Anybody knows what I'm talking about when I talk about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. And then also, then also it's incumbent that you be buried with Him in baptism. That's where sin is remitted. In other words, that's where it's, it's put into a place of being abated, stopped. The progress of it has been stopped when you go down in the waters of baptism. In the name of Jesus, pray, tell me, find one place in this Bible where anybody was baptized in any other way but the name of Jesus. Oh, somebody said, well, Matthew 28, 19, right there, you know, he told his disciples uh, that when they went forth, they needed to preach the gospel in all nations, baptizing them in the Father, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost. Amen. He said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But he still said, in the name. Even a most, the most basic English student could tell you that when he talks about the Father and he talks about the Son, and it talks about the Holy Ghost. He's given descriptions, prepositional phrases that are pointing back to the name as the subject in that verse or those in, in, in that frame of Scripture. That's what it's that's what it's talking about. That's what it's describing. Amen. Everything points back to the name. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful that you know what that name is? It's the name of Jesus that brings remission for sin. Come on, we need to get excited again about the power that's in the name and the authority that's in the name and the strength that comes through obeying the word of God and being baptized in the name. I can tell you at seven years of age somebody said, well, you need to be baptized. And I agreed and I believed that. I'd been taught that. I went down in the waters of baptism at seven years of age. And I, I, I know I was not as far as in this life, I had not committed, I was born in sin. It didn't matter whether I committed a whole lot of sin. I, I can't tell you that I had the testimony of being way out there in sin, but I can tell you this, I still need to be baptized in Jesus' name in order to be saved. And when I come up out of that water, I cannot describe to you and you that have been baptized in the name of the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. When I come up, I still remember it to this day. And that has been 41 years ago this past summer. But I can tell you that when I come up out of that water, I felt clean and I felt whole and I felt a completeness that I had never felt before a previous to. 
Hallelujah. There's something about this name. There's something about the power of this name. This Acts 2.38 message is effective. This gospel is effective. Amen. This net that we're casting here tonight, it is effective. It'll do the job. There's nothing wrong with the message. I know we're living in a day when people say, well, you know, if we kind of loosen up on that Jesus name baptism stuff, if we could, if we kind of loosen up this little bit on that essentiality of the Holy Ghost stuff. Amen. What if they didn't have a chance? You know what? That's not for you and I to decide in the first place. But the Bible does say this, if you believe the Bible, it does say time and chance happen to them all. And while everybody may not have the same amount of opportunities, everybody that's hungry and desires to be saved, I believe that God gives them a path or a way to find out how to be saved. Amen. When the gospel is preached to the whole world, the Bible says. Somebody said, well, what about those people over there? Well, that might be why the Lord has delayed his coming to this point is because the gospel has not, there's not been a witness that has went forth. That's why we've got to get about our, you want to, you want to go to heaven, folks. You want to, you want to be saved. You want to get out of this world. You don't want to be here when this thing gets worse and worse and worse. I'll tell you, one of the ways to expedite this thing, according to what I can see in scripture, is let's get about the business of winning souls. Let's get about the business of, of, of catching fish. Let's get about the business of casting out the gospel net and trying to get somebody in here because the Bible says there's going to be a witness in this world. That's right. Amen. And that is so vital and so important that we understand that this truth and this gospel that I'm, I'm preaching to you tonight, it's effective and it's powerful. We don't have to apologize for it, folks. Amen. When you're obedient to the truth, the entire truth, the Bible says that it will make you free. Addictions and problems and habits that you weren't able to break. If you will be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole truth of God's word, God can break those chains in your life. If you believe that, if you believe there's nothing wrong with the net, why don't you clap your hands to the Lord? And I hurriedly come to a close, but maybe the question could have been asked, well, if it's not the boat, not the church, it's not the nets, not the gospel, then maybe, maybe, maybe it was the timing of things. You know, every fisherman knows there's certain times. You know, early in the morning, late in the evening, there's the feeding time for, for most game. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't, Lord, you know, uh, there's timing involved with all this. We've been out there in the best time. You know, there's moon phases. They talk about all those kinds of things. But can I just tell you as it relates to you and I, if you're thinking timing is a problem, and I do believe in the timing of God, the time of harvest. The, time. the Bible said there's seed time and harvest. The reason why timing is sometimes delayed is there's been no seed put in the ground. You can't expect to harvest if you haven't planted. So it's delayed. The harvest is delayed because we haven't done the other parts of the process. But 
I can't think of a time that the world needs revival any more than it needs revival now. I can't think of a time when souls should be any more shook up than what they should be right now. I can't think of a time, matter of fact, when people ought to be more concerned about their soul and their soul's salvation than right now. Because though they're sometimes being lulled to a spiritual slumber by the sin that they're involved in and the way uh, that the, the, the things of this world has is is overshadowed their minds so much they think, can't think clearly and they can't see clearly what's going on and the signs of the times that are around them. But any very spiritually perceptive person could tell you that this thing is wrapping up. It's getting down to the end. We, we, are, we are down to the last of this race. And I think it's important that you understand if you blamed it on time and if you said, well, someday we're going to have it and someday it's going to happen. I'm going to tell you, someday is now. Amen. We can't blame it on the timing of things. We're living in the last days. If we've ever preached and if we've ever believed and if we've ever stood up for revival, it is now. The timing for revival is now. The timing for souls to be saved is now. The timing to baptize people in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin is now. The timing for seeing people that are backslidden to come back to God is now. The time and the appointed hour for people to be able to be delivered is now. This gospel is as strong as it's ever been. The church is as great as it's ever been. The timing is now for us to see revival. Would you stand?